back. Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site, right across the street in the Bonner Center. And we are live Facebook. We are also uh, engaged at our podcast. You'll pick us up later. I'll make sure to push that out with our great tech person, Josh Collingwood. Thankful so much for what he does. He's actually putting the uh, finishing touches on a documentary that's going to be coming out this fall. The documentary about and uh, and for Cominius Institute. So we're excited about that. And of course, he's the one who does all of the great work on our Truth and Two or Truth and Two videos that come out weekly. Uh, he's the one who manages uh, our websites. Everything. So grateful for him. Also, want to give a shout out to Polly Riddell. Polly is the kind of person who, if I had the opportunity, would name her CCO of Cominius Institute. Would be uh, her title would be Chief Connections Officer. I suspect that every day she sends me a handful of contacts that she's making in and around the city. Well, we constantly are engaged in meeting people, and she is one of those people that's out there uh, helping Cominius uh, be what it is. And that is uh, this inter- integral communication piece in the neighborhoods in and around Indianapolis. So today, Harold H.B. Bell and I are going to be talking about community. So. H.B., why don't you start us off a little bit by telling us about your tagline for this radio show, uh, generally your radio station, and why community is so important to you. Man, all community all the time, Mark, is uh, I guess it just came by by way of doing this show. I've been fortunate enough to do a show every Saturday morning, uh, a little bit over seven years now. And uh, the show is designed to bring awareness to the community rural nonprofit, and that's a nonprofit uh, that was uh, spawned. 12 years ago almost, and uh, those 12 years have led me to meet uh, brothers like you and other great leaders in the community that are doing great things, but uh, most of the time all you hear about are the acronym agencies, Mm -hmm. as I like to call them, you know, Uh, the NAACP, IBE, UNCF, all of these great Mm -hmm. organizations, but I found out there are so many smaller organizations who are Mm -hmm. really planting uh, uh, pure uh, opportunities and awareness and information in, inside of our community. So all community all the time came by way of meeting these great people who don't get any luster on mm. national uh, uh, platforms or local television or local newspapers and said, well, let's let's start a, a fire mm. of mm. all these great organizations like mine that are doing some great work, but don't get the exposure. So yeah. it, it kind of morphed. It was innocent as we talk all the time when God comes in and you step out of the way, some powerful things can happen. Absolutely. Uh, I just I just decided to step out the way and say, use me the way you need to use mm-hmm. me. And we have candid conversations mm-hmm. about this, uh, the cost of giving, as I call it. Yeah. Tougher than the cost of living sometimes. Oh, isn't that the truth? This is something that uh, you and I have been uh, chatting about and engaging for uh, all these years that we've been together. One of them that stands out to me when you start talking about some of these smaller organizations, frankly, HB, it's the reason why I think you and I kind of hit it off so well, and part of the reason, many reasons, but one of them is I really believe in grassroots. I really believe in loyalty. I believe in longstanding relationships. And quite frankly, it's not often that you find those in this world. Oh, my God. When you do, you know, that's like you're like a diamond that you yeah. found out there in that, you know, that, in that old coal field. Um, 
One of the things about grassroots, Mark, that I love more than anything is that uh, Scripture said if the seed is pure, the lump is pure. If the lump <laughs> is pure, then the branches are pure. And the seed is as close as you're going to get to the grassroots yes. as possible. And so usually when you're dealing in the grassroots level, you're dealing with people who have a passion more so than a thrive or a drive to be famous or great. Yes. And once you get to the blades... <laughs> the grass blades are looking for something different. They're yes. looking to how am I going to spawn and how am I going to blossom and bloom to be something special. And the grass root is saying, all I need you to do is come through this ground, break through this earth. Yeah. So there's life. And, yeah. and, you know, there's a difference between those two mindsets. And uh, that's why I stay close to the to the authentic, original uh, makers of, mm -hmm. you know, programming instead of what, what comes afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be around early on when Indiana Black Expo uh, was about grassroots. Mm -hmm. And God bless it, not knocking it, but I watched it get so big that the grassroots are unnoticed now. Mm. And that's a sad state mm. to me when we're talking about developing community. Mm. One of the things Robin and I talk about, Robin and my wife, of course you know that, but not everybody does. So uh, Robin and I were just talking about this last night, uh, that one of the things that's true about all kinds of Christian entities is that really the people that uh, get richest, get, get most noticed, get most famous, are the people on top or out front, uh, not the people who are doing all of the work all the time. Well, of course, uh, for Robin and I, that means uh, Christian school education. We've always been teachers. We've never been in administration. We've never been on the top, so to speak. Uh, but we like the classroom. We like the front lines. We believe that's where the action is. Yet, that's to your point, when you start saying, well, this is a, a great organization because you got all these great people and these are the people that you see, but you don't see the people doing the grunt work, that's no people. good. Uh, I remember this, and this is uh, this is true story. I was working with Eli Lilly. Uh, fortunate enough, uh, my business career started in uh, the limousine hmm. world, and I was doing transportation for high-end executives, and I met Mr. Randall Tobias of Eli Lilly. Hmm. And when I met Mr. Tobias, he called me in early one morning because they had a big board meeting. And he says, uh, you know, just give me a while because me and my best friend are, you know, having a cup of coffee. Mm. And when they told me to go in, his best friend leaving was the head janitor at Lilly. Oh, my God. A brother, oh an African-American guy. And he said, without this guy, mm. all this you see doesn't happen. Mm. And so, it, I mean, I got chills. I'm getting that, chills right that now. That is a story, man. I, no, I get chills talking about it because he never, ever let it mm. be, be forgotten that mm -hmm. this guy, all this stuff that you walk into every day, this is the guy that makes this happen. Wow. And, and he recognized him, and I said, wow, how powerful. Is that is the that? same guy that became ambassador? Absolutely. So this is Tobias Leadership Randall Center. Tobias, that, yes. That's, that what I told Larry, you when, that's what I told you when Larry was in here, Mr. Tobias. Oh. And he treated me as a limo guy who handled yeah. all of his top flight executives. He never, ever uh, had a time when we didn't discuss how his board meeting was going to, how it was going to go off without a hitch based on the transportation that, mm. you know, they've hired me to do. He never, ever let me think that I was any less than mm. all of this planning that takes place for these board meetings. You're part of it, H.B. Yeah, man. And, I mean, it was a powerful thing to watch leadership never forget everybody on this team. Mm. Um, and so, you know, that, that went a long way and it still goes a long way yeah. uh, in, in just my everyday dealing. Mm. We, never, uh, we should never forget those people that work hardest for us. And I think this goes back to something you and I have talked about a lot. We just did a video on it. It's about gratitude. Oh, my God. And how, how important being thankful is. 
And of course, being thankful means that you're grateful for something or someone outside of yourself. Obviously, for Christians, that is the one who made us and has saved us. But for everybody else, I mean, you know, I stopped to think about, hey, can we, can we be thankful for parents? Can we be thankful for professors and teachers? Can we be thankful for the people that pick up our trash or take care of the lawn or whatever it might be? Well, let's get deeper than that. Yeah. Can you be thankful for those who forsake you, your enemy? Oh, my no, word. No, I'm serious because most time, man, uh, we are not thankful for the things that makes us better and stronger. Mm. And sometimes we get sent people to make us and sharpen us mm. and make us stronger, even if it wasn't good intentions on their part. Mm. Do you handle yourself with dignity and class while yeah. people are forsaking you? And to me, um, those are the tests to say you're ready to rise to the next level. Because mm. it's easy, man. It is easy to get adulation and awards and yeah. recognition. Yeah. But when you can stand strong and, and don't shake Mm-hmm. Through, through when people are throwing darts at you. You've been with me yeah. almost three years now. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not a mortar, and I'm not asking for any any kind of sympathy. But, man, I have had people throw darts yeah. at me who I have just given to and helped. Mm-hmm. And to keep dignity, class, and mm. what's first up front in that, and you see me do it all, you get more pissed <laughs> off than I do. You know, and I just let you know, man, no, look, look, I'm just expressing myself. Mm-hmm. Don't get mad because, mm-hmm. really, this is okay. I'm, I'm built this way, yeah. you know, uh, like the book of Job, man. God said, <laughs> I dare you to test him. You know, I dare you to test him, and I want to live that way. I want to be mm-hmm. like that book of Job. You know, I mm-hmm. dare you to test me mm-hmm. uh, and, and have me shirk my faith. Yeah, you know, you ain't gonna happen. That's right. Well, I'm, I'm, and once again, it goes to show how close knit we are. We're grateful for this relationship. We're going to be taking a one song break here in just a second. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion about community, the importance of uh, collaboration together, uh, and also this drink that we uh, consume regularly uh, called coffee. Uh, we are not going to be saying anything about the the large chains. Uh, unless, of course, it's about Dunkin' Donuts, which is my favorite coffee, so there you go. But nonetheless, we're going to pick up uh, with a, a group here just a couple doors down from us here on 2131 East 10th Street. Talk about them a little bit. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNX.tv at the Cool Groove site. We'll be right back. And we are back, Warp and Woof Radio at RadioNX.tv at the Cool Groove site. You are listening, perhaps later on, to our podcast. And we are here talking about the issues of coffee. And those are uh, concerns for us, obviously. Uh, That kind of thing is uh, huge for us, Uh, coffee. So we're going to be uh, talking about that here this morning. Um, When we uh, think about this kind of uh, thing, we are back live here at Facebook Live. Um, When we think about these kinds of ideas, of course, we're talking about people that make coffee all the time throughout our city. And uh, HB was just telling me off uh, off air and on break, discussing issues as it relates to a uh, a service provider just down the street from us here called Rabble. So uh, tell us a little bit, HB, from your vantage point about Rabble and why that's an important addition to this little neighborhood. Well, it's a um, you know it gives you uh, remnants of the Starbuck feel. Um, you know, a community-based, privately owned. A store that has fresh all the, the the catches and all the things that Starbucks offers, but you can feel the authentic authentic uh, neighborhood 
uh, quality of any uh, mom and pop store. So mm. uh, I think that it has become a great gathering spot uh, for different leaders and community leaders. And then when they come into this neighborhood, they don't have to find this big Starbucks, this big chain store. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, support uh, the, the people who are investing in their own neighborhoods. So I just find it very important to have uh, a privately owned coffee shops, privately owned restaurants, privately owned uh, uh, gyms or whatever it might be to remember that uh, this is how we start a community. Mm. And a lot of times we start community and then, as we mention all the time, let the big stores come in, the big box stores come in and run those hardware stores or those uh, family stores just selling used clothing. They'll run them out of business. And Mm. I just think that we have to save our communities by supporting and investing in privately owned yeah, these small businesses operations right uh, so give a shout out to rabble for uh, what's happening here this next or this weekend actually on friday night and uh, tell them what you'll be you'll be doing uh, it is interesting uh Back in February, I met a young lady, man, who was doing some great, great work, Deborah Devane. And uh, Deborah was going into the prison systems, uh, particularly Plainfield Correctional Institute. And uh, I'm a a poet, published (laughs) poet. Yes, you are. I mean, you know, and I do have a book, Word Inspirations is Love Song Called Life. And it's really a book about if we incorporate uh, Christian principles into our everyday walk, then we're going to be better. And I didn't want to go heavy on scripture, but I also wanted to let scripture breathe through. So when I published this book of poetry, I had no clue that all the things that were going to come from it. So Deborah found out I was a poet, came on, and she told me she had a prison writers workshop, which is an organization, nonprofit organization that goes into the correctional facilities. And upon being released, uh, these gentlemen that she is serving have an opportunity to write poetry, and it's mm. cathartic. So we found out that if we allow them to express themselves when they come out, they're going to be better and and probably more ready to come back into society because they've got out a lot of the things that were inside. And and as a poet, um, I found out that when I write, I'm not consumed with what might be angst. That's the reason I told you, like, don't worry about me Mm because I go write about all this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I have poetry some I will never let people see because it's getting it out of me and it doesn't need to be seen. But uh, so these guys are coming out and she came up with an idea, said, okay, all these great artists, uh, uh, whether it be drawing, painting or poetry, Hmm. we're going to show some of their work. So this Saturday, I mean, this Friday evening at 7 p.m. at Rabble Coffee Shop, right down the street here, 2129. East 10th Street, we're going to display some of their art. Uh, Mm. We're going to have some different speakers and different performers. We've got a guy, Sonny Paradise, who is just a phenomenal poet. I'm going to speak on behalf of uh, children of incarcerated parents and finding out how we can tie this together. Deborah's going to talk about uh, the great works that she's trying to do, and she just got awarded Plainfield, not Plainfield, but Pendleton, and another facility to go into to use this program. So we're just going to talk about how powerful uh, writing and art can be to those mm. people who might have had some issues previously That's and right. then part of the recuperation and, and redefining themselves can come out of these arts. So uh, mm. I want I wish everybody could come out this uh, this mm. Saturday or Friday evening, 7 o'clock, to participate and meet, more importantly. Some of these brothers who have come out, man, and I went into the prison, mm. we got to change our stereotype. Yeah. Uh, had one brother who was in there, and he was, he was serving 10 years, Mark, for stealing... A box of hamburgers oh out of a Walmart freezer. 
Oh, boy. Right? Because he said he had three kids and they were hungry. He was working. Something came up. He had to pay it. I mean, legitimately, uh, that could happen to you, me, or anybody yep. else who might be desperate to feed their kids. And so they gave this guy 10 years, but still in a box of, you know, $32 hamburgers. And I said, wow. Wow, how powerful is that? So, you know, mm-hmm. now he's writing, and he has some published works that we'll be talking about, and he's going to give his story uh, because I found it to just be horrendous that mm. this is how we take and break families up. Yeah. This is how we take powerful people off the streets mm. because of a, a mistake, and this would be probation and a misdemeanor in most cases. Oh, my, absolutely. He called a felony. Unbelievable. Yeah, because of lack of representation. This is one of those things that goes back to Scripture again. I th- I'm thinking about here about Proverbs 6, 30 to 35, which says, uh, we all understand if a man steals to, to support his family because he doesn't have any money. We understand that. You rest, you pay restitution, sure, but you don't send somebody to jail, my Man, word. It, it was the saddest. I, I mean, I was still trying to find the cracks in the story. Oh, wow. I was trying to find the cracks in the story, being judgmental. Yeah. And I didn't mean to be, but I was like, man, it's got to be more than that. And he said, Mr. H.B., when I tell you, <laughs> wow. When I tell you, my lawyer just let me down. You know, the system just kind of mm. let me down. And I said, wow, how powerful is that yeah. uh, when you get to hear it firsthand? So he ended up serving two and a half years. Okay. But he's getting out now. You mm. know, fortunately, uh, programs like this, the Prison Writers Workshop, and some another attorney came in and looked at this case and said, hey, man, we got to get this guy. No previous record or nothing. And I yeah. said, this is unbelievable. This happens every day. Yeah. This happens every day. And it's not something that's... Uh, that's just about one ethnicity. It's about a system that really is jerry-rigged in a certain way. That if you're if you're poor and you can't afford representation, if you're of a certain class, of your if you're from a certain place, uh, people look at you differently. And this is a sadness, I think, just generally across the culture. But let's uh, let's hit come back to the hospitality and community issue as it relates to coffee. Why do you think, from your vantage point, you know, you're talking about rabble here, just for a moment. Uh, why do you think anything like a Rabble or a Dunkin' Donuts or anything like this unites people in some way, brings them together? I mean, what's the purpose behind having a drink in your hand? Two universal connectors. <laughs> food and beverage. Food and beverage. If you put food and beverage in a place and you gather people, usually you're going to get some good conversation. Mm. You're going to get people who are relaxed now. Uh, they're not on their they're, they're not on their their drive so to mm-hmm. speak. Um, tension man is a funny thing, and usually uh, you know that's where I t- we don't see people eating when they play basketball. We don't yeah. see people eating uh, <laughs> while they're in the midst of a football game. You know the, you might see the fans, but the mm-hmm. people competing don't because eating and drinking gives you a sense state of relaxation. Yes. You know mm-hmm. you become. Uh, okay, let me hear what you have to say mm-hmm. now. It, it, it eases the mind. So I think anytime you do it, and then there's that other element if you throw on top, and I've told you this before, eat, drink, music. Yeah, music. Uh, you got you got conversation now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but eating and drinking builds a atmosphere, I think, for people to say, let me pause hmm. as I digest this drink and digest this food, and then we can just have a civil conversation. Yeah. I think that's why we do it over meals and why yeah. we do it over beverages yeah this is uh, one of those things that uh, so i'm i'm gonna see what you think about this on october 17th i believe somebody has a birthday here october 17th Damn, and i that sounds and familiar i do believe that it's the big six oh wow six oh wow. so you know you're talking about food beverage music i'm thinking because it's a wednesday and because it's our show 
We should just make this a parte. You sure mom gonna Oh mom in fact can, can I get forgiven? No. <laughs> mom is already all about this. Yeah. She's been the one telling me now don't forget HB's birthday is October 17th, wow. and it's on a Wednesday. I love that. I, I'm telling you, man, every single week I get done talking here today, she's going to say, I heard you talking to HB about his birthday. Oh, man, and I love her, but, you know, and that's, that's back to that, man, relationship yeah. building. Uh, the peripheral relationship that you build off the original relationships is something else as well. Mm. Um, and your mom, you know, uh, I had never met her just, you know, through cyber love, so mm -hmm. to speak, and then actually had the opportunity to meet her in the presence and, Man, about <laughs> big personality, yeah. big heart, big people. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are the types of things that's happened, much like some of the people that you've met coming through Radio that's right. X and you spawned and formed your own relationships. Mm -hmm. That's, that's uh, fruitful yeah, it is. Uh, when you can do that. Nobody's perfect, and we all have things to learn and grow from. But yeah. um, I think that the more that we interchange ideas and we interchange mindsets, the better uh, we can become as a community. And stop wanting people to be like you. Yeah. This uh, reminds me of a story I was just telling, in fact, this morning uh, to a couple who are, is coming on the show in early October. You and I were talking about them earlier. Uh, it, was, it was fascinating in my discussion with them. We were sitting at a coffee place here this last week, getting to know each other a little bit, talking about what we might do together. And uh, I just happened to mention Attics, the school that opened the city, and, of course, I told them about you and I being there opening yeah. night and all those kinds of things. Well, uh, I sent them the link to that particular documentary this morning, and then I sent them an inline picture of you and I and Ted Green. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you remember that, that picture? Was a I still have that. That's a great yes. picture. And that idea of meeting people, you're, you're there to in, enjoy something uh, as a community. There, Yes, there was eating and drinking going on there, but... Here is where you bring people together. Here's another opportunity even. You're talking about poetry uh, down the street here in a couple of nights. Uh, we've uh, got movie houses where we can actually uh, bring people together and show them things that perhaps will unite them as a community. Let me, and let me mention this about uh, neighborhood uh, uh, businesses. Mark, uh, you couldn't make it Saturday, but I had one of the most powerful experiences at Urban mm. Social an organization down at 4155 Boulevard, nine African-American-owned businesses on one corner. Wow. And uh, the place was so immaculate. Hmm. Food was just great. I mean, the you talking about atmosphere. Hmm. I said, boy, I missed you Saturday. But hmm. uh, those are the types of organizations that uh, I'm just praying that we support because these young ladies are both two go-getters. One works uh, with youth at the Job Corps. Uh, the other is a realtor. But they take their part-time to make their business work together. And I said, this is what, this is what I grew up watching. This yeah. is what I grew up knowing when I saw people making that extra sacrifice to say, we're going to have something to give our own community, and this is going to be a great meeting spot, great breakfast spot, uh, great catering organization, so mm. we just wish them well. But I had to mention that when we started talking about uh, mom and pops and, and yeah. doing your own thing in your own community, perfect example right there. So, yeah. It's yeah. one of those things, uh, you're talking about grassroots and all of the things that come from an organization or from a community from the bottom up. And this is the kind of thing that excites people, you know, people with an entrepreneurial spirit. Shoot, man, the the best person that I have to think about an entrepreneurial spirit is you. You know, <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, you're the you're the first person I think of just because you're somebody who's actually gone out and started something 
and uh, committed to it and been loyal to it for seven years. Man, it's tough, uh, and, and I don't wish this on, you know, uh, on my worst enemy. I mean, because the reality is if you're not mentally ready to, to, to endure the lumps and endure mm. the bruises and endure uh, uh, learning yeah. your losses while you learn, you know, mm. if you're not willing for that, then you probably don't need to try to do this. And, yeah. and entrepreneurialism isn't for everyone. We've had this discussion before. Fortunately for me, I watched a grandmother back in the day mm. for the first seven years of my life who was an entrepreneur, and I never knew about getting up going to work. I knew about getting up going to tend to your business. Mm. And that kind of stuck in my mind. Uh, throughout, so work was never a job was never mm. kind of like in my DNA because I, yeah. I saw somebody who owned something that said I have to go do this every day, yep. and it builds another kind of ethic because I watch people get up and they drag themselves to work. Mm. I never drag myself in here. It's yep. it's always on a continuous conscious. Yep. How can we grow? How can we be better? And that's a different kind of drive, and, uh, and you know, yeah. it's not for everybody. And you have a a, a very other-centered spirit too so that's something that ma matters uh in all of this you know you're really interested in reaching out making friends uh see, once again going back to how we started this the issue of community building community yeah. from the inside out man and i think more than anything and i think we get this mistaken i hear you and clyde talk about all the time and i'm a christian you know might not be everybody else's flavor of Christian, but man, my purity and how I love Christ and what I recognize that God does for me every day, I'm that. I'm not looking for endorsements from other Christians, and I think a lot of times as Christians we look for endorsement of, yeah. uh, you know, what church I go to, who my pastor is, and all that. Man, mm -hmm. I serve God. Yeah. Uh, I don't, you know, we've talked about this before. Democrat, Republican stuff. That's that's for everybody else, man. Yeah. I'm like, what's right for us as people? Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I kind of go in with a real vanilla, uh, yeah. you know, so whatever I need to do to maintain my Christian walk in that environment, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to be protesting uh, gay rights and all that. I'm not going to be rude to gay people, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm not standing on the platform and say, hey, they deserve this. I'm mm -hmm. going to say, hey, if, if Caesar, the, the, the law of Caesar's land is mm -hmm. the law we adhere to. And if that's the case, then mm. live by your Bible scripture. And that's yeah. what it says. It don't yeah. mean you have to go to the gay party. <laughs> it just means treat gay people right. It and just, and not, not using gay, but but I don't care what what it is. Yeah. What it is. That, yeah. I mean, you don't have to be it to say, yeah. love your neighbor like you love yourself. Right. Adhere to the land, you know, the laws in the land that are made. I mean... Yeah, one of the things that uh, stands out as I hear you say those things is what we just talked about again, Truth and Two video this week. Uh, I told the story about uh, the search for God in Guinness and how that particular organization who created this marvelous beer line for over 200 years now uh, committed itself to its employees. And I think that's the real issue that, that we uh, show people respect. Yep. And it was a Christian organization, people that were churchgoers, that believed Jesus died on the cross for their sin, rose again from the dead, lives for them today. Uh, those are the kinds of people that make a difference, and that's the kind of folks that we're talking about. You know, Mark, I think that we, um, the one big problem I think we have as a society is that, and I mentioned that just in the last segment, we are looking for validation from man too mm. much. We are looking for people to endorse mm. what we think. Mm -hmm. And if you're authentic and you're true to yourself, you don't need an endorsement about what you think. Right. Uh, you, you need to check yourself to make sure that you're not stepping on people's toes or you're not being abrasive and rude, but I don't need endorsement yeah. from, an, from another guy or another yeah. lady. I just don't. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. And so with that, you know, we have to... 
yep. And our guest is here. He made it all the way from Cincinnati. Chris man. Chris Bean. And he look at you, man. You made it on time. Congratulations. A deep sigh. <laughs> We're grateful that you're here. Uh, we're going to be taking a two-song break, about 10 minutes or so. We're going to get a picture with Chris, and then we're going to have a, a discussion about coffee. Uh, grateful, of course, that we see him in flesh, you know, because uh, it was a tough drive over here on I-74 uh, he's uh, today. The man. He is the man, and we're going to come right back. Uh, we are live here at Radio Next TV. We are back, Warp and Woof Radio, at the Cool Groove site. We're here at 2131 East 10th Street across the street from the Bonner Center. Glad to join you today. Uh, Producer H.B. Bell in the house, thank you so much for hanging here with me. Dr. Clyde, uh, off today. Uh, Blessings on you, our brother, uh, praying for you. And then uh, we have our special guest here. Drove all the way from Sims, have you heard, Chris Bean, Coffee Roaster puns. Yeah, Yeah, lots of people accuse me of changing my name just to (laughs) get into the coffee world. But uh, it kind of worked the other way around. I think God took a... A while to reveal my my coffee destiny. <laughs> um, I've never heard anybody talk about their coffee destinies. <laughs> That's you've heard it here first, folks. Uh, yeah, this is uh, so. Tell people uh, what it is that you do in Cincinnati. Tell us a little bit about your family, yourself, and uh, all that good stuff. For uh, going on thirteen years now, hmm. um, and I was a youth pastor before that uh, in the Church of the Nazarene. I've been in several churches around kind of Ohio um, and went through kind of a transition trying to figure out where God really wanted me to be and what was next in life and landed in Cincinnati where my that's where my wife and I actually met. Her Mm. dad is a pastor and he was my first boss Mm. actually as a youth pastor. He was the the lead pastor. so I married the pastor's daughter 24 some years ago. Um, we have three kids, three awesome, terrific kids. One is a sophomore at the University of Cincinnati. Mm. One's a sophomore in high school uh, in Milford on the east side of Cincinnati. And then I have a second grader, a little dude. Uh, so <laughs> Jessica, Jacqueline, and Josiah. Nice, nice. And yeah. your, does your wife work outside the home? She does. She works part-time at the federal courthouse. And she has a paralegal degree and is kind of a legal administrative assistant for some right. staff attorneys in the courthouse. That's pretty impressive stuff. You know, you, you come from good stock over there, you know, in Cincinnati. <laughs> By the way, everybody, uh, don't forget that this weekend, Cincinnati is coming here to play the Colts. I just wanted you to know. I don't, oh, yeah. yeah I don't, just to remind everybody, we actually care about football here in this that town. might not go well for us. Although I think the Bengals <laughs> are off to a decent a decent start. Preseason start. All right. So. Well, we'll have to see what we see. This is the first week of NFL football. Uh, we, we're not here to talk about that, of course. I just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, we are here to talk about uh, what you do and uh, what you've engaged with. And so I wanted to ask, first of all, kind of, we're going to be talking about coffee, but I want to talk first about how you got from college ministry at the University of Cincinnati into coffee and why that connection is so important. Yeah, I actually got into coffee ahead of campus ministry, university ministry. And so um, kind of in between my 15 years of youth ministry before I started doing university ministry, um, really fell in love with coffee Mm. and the coffee shop environment. And we often talk about the third place and sort of, you know, what happens in a coffee shop and 
I was living in Columbus, Ohio, started working at a coffee shop, and, and within a few months, I had more relationships, knew more people by name mm-hmm. through that coffee shop than I did from being on staff at a church six years yep. you know, prior to that. Um, so it just got me into the community. I fell in love with the interaction that happens. You know, as you're making somebody's latte in the morning, they're mm. extra hot, whatever, mocha. Um, and you call them by name. How's it, how's it going? There's just that bartender mm-hmm. effect happens as mm-hmm. a barista. So I just really fell in love with that, that environment. And I'd really, I, I think I was kind of living in the bubble of church life and sort of that Christian sh- subculture a little bit. Yeah. And and the coffee shop was a way for me to really engage people in the community outside of that mm. and see kind of what God was up to in people's lives, not just, you know, from the church vantage point. So, yeah. so that really began to carry me on a different trajectory, I think, of figuring out a, a new way to kind of engage with people and build relationships. And so as I went through a transition in ministry and with my calling, um, I had always wanted to end up on a college campus um, that's where I really felt like my transformational experience had happened um, for myself spiritually you know and all that and I loved what kind of happens with college students you know they're about to launch into life and trying to figure things out and so anyway I had one kind of vision of how that was gonna look but then I you know sometimes life takes you through you know the knot hole backwards so to speak, as one of my professors (laughs) used to say. Um, And kind of the way in which I would land on a campus working with college students became radically different and Mm -hmm. connected with a ministry that was wanting to launch something new at the University of Cincinnati. And by that time, I was falling deeply into the rabbit hole of coffee and, (laughs) and what that was all about and how, you know, just how deep that rabbit hole could go and began to just really integrate that transition into campus ministry with coffee. Mm. We set up an espresso machine in a campus ministry house that was owned by a Lutheran church that they let me come and hang out and share some space there. And so we quickly became known as, you know, kind of the the espresso latte uh, love kind of, you know, yeah. place. We would do these coffee ambushes on campus where we'd basically just go set up the espresso machine and serve Free, yeah. free lattes to students and engage nice. conversations and stuff like that. So the coffee thing really became an open door, I think, for me then to as a as a way to engage students, mm-hmm. as a way to build community and just yeah create kind of a new form of ministry. It was a new form for me at the time. One of the things that uh, stands out in some of your comments there has to do with the connection between bartending and being a barista. Mm-hmm. And there's a place down on East Washington uh, Street uh, called the Neenhammer Building, and they have a coffee shop uh, during the day and then a bar at night in the same space. And I I find that to be really an enticing uh, appreciation of how people live their lives. You mentioned a third place, which, of course, uh, for those of you not familiar, it's a a very famous book from 1989. I can't remember the author's name right offhand. But the whole point behind a third place is that you have another place between besides home and work that you go to. And, oh, by the way, for all you church folk out there, it's not church. It's got to be a separate place where people feel comfortable uh, to engage each other in conversation and so on. So, uh, you know, I, sometimes I'd drop this bomb on students and I'd say, you know, we need more Christian bartenders. Yeah. And I honestly believe that. We do. 
But it also goes to the same point of in the morning and during the day, we need more Christian baristas. Yeah. You know, would you say that that is something that would be more perhaps an engaging relational connection for people in the church? Yeah, for sure. I think for Christians to see, again, not to compartmentalize their and their faith and what that means, um, you know, the way God calls us to you know, sacrificially love, love people uh, and serve people, you know, I think there are just certain environments, especially in the hospitality service industry kind of it should be a natural, you know, kind of outpouring of faith and the way we express our faith to just engage, you know, in those environments. And it doesn't mean, you know, I'm always, you know, trying to evangelize someone across the, the counter or the bar, or throw a tract, you know, alongside their drink or anything like that. <laughs> but it's just engaging them in a way that makes them feel loved, appreciated, respected, yep. special, um, you know, I, I think that just uh, goes a long way. And I think Ray Oldenburg was the author. Oldenburg, of thank you, yes. The Great Good Place was there you his go. first book on that. And then he came out with a later edition, The Third Place. Mm, that's uh, great stuff. Yeah. This is something that I think we need to speak more about generally in the church and help people to understand that we are not dichotomizing life, that this isn't just about, you know, our workplace or how we're engaging uh, folks that... Uh, you know, through a track ministry or something like that, not to diminish any of those ideas, but we're actually building relationships with people that we think are important and good. Yeah. And I know that my time in the coffee shop initially, as I was still a youth pastor, showed me that there was a, there was a whole kind of demographic. There was a whole group of people in my community that mm. I wasn't really engaged with. Mm. Um, and the coffee shop gave me an environment you know, we were near a university campus at the time, a small kind of college uh, in Columbus, Ohio. And um, I mean, that just broadened my, you know, my relational network, really, to have friendships with people that were probably never going to come to my church. Mm -hmm. um, but yet I could you know, build a relationship with them, you know, and sometimes build a bridge. Sometimes, you know, conversations, you know, turn from, you know, to spiritual things or just sort of the big issues of life people want to talk about it. people are going through difficult times um, whatever there's times to share your story and share Christ and share how God is you know change your life and you know those kind of things but it's often not overt it's I think just a way of being with people um, you know that is I mean it's very Christ like I think that it's just this whimsical uh, approachable you know, kind of way of living out the Christian life. Mm. It really is. I, you know, HB and I were talking about this in the first hour, just uh, our relationship with people ought to be made more easy with food and, and beverage. Um, and whatever beverage or food that might be, it's going to be different for everybody. But in your uh, case, you're committed to the university uh, segment, a population of folks like I am here in Indianapolis. Uh, tell us about what is it that uh, draws people, draws Christian, or not even Christian young people, but just young people in general, on the college campus to coffee itself? What is it, why do college students consume so much coffee? Is there any sense that you have of that? Well, I think the, the immediate practical concern oftentimes is, is the need for caffeine. <laughs> yeah. You know, for some students. Um, and so, you know, coffee uh, provides a, a little bit of a pick-me-up, you know, whether it's in the mornings on the way to class, 
or later in the day when they're trying to study and stay focused and get some things done, the coffee shop, you know, can provide that kind of atmosphere. You know, at our coffee house, it's called the 86 Coffee Bar, um, right on the edge of the University of Cincinnati campus. Mm. And, you know, what, what I notice most, and we get, you know, every kind of student, you know, that comes and hangs out at the coffee shop. It's not, we're not really what you would call a Christian coffee shop, although we're infused with Christian, you know, principles and an ethos around that. But really, it's just loving students, creating a place where they feel like they're welcome, they belong. Mm. And so they develop relationships with our you know, team of baristas, with our staff, and, and things like that. Um, but I think students are drawn to coffee as a beverage for <laughs> that practical reason. Uh, but then they're drawn to the space around coffee. They're drawn to conversation and relationships that can happen. Um, you know, it, especially in a day and age where I think mental health you know is more and more of a concern you got more and more college and university students dealing with just stress in their lives and anxiety and some things like that to come to a place where they just feel welcome they feel cared about um you can tell we've been closed for a little while because we're renovating oh and so we'll bump into students and they're just like chomping at the bit you know to get back <laughs> to the shop for us to reopen and, yeah. and and have a place for them so that's that's been really encouraging but Talk about this this concept of space for a moment. Um, why is it that a space or a place is so important? You mentioned being right on the edge of the university uh, campus area. What is it that that uh, people want in a place? Uh, I mean, you know, people can quote the old Cheers theme song. You know, mm. you want a place where everybody knows your name, um, and they're always glad you came. Yeah, I won't sing the song, but <laughs> it's tempting. Um, and I think that really is a part of it, to have a place, and it's got to be, I think, places that are in close proximity to the community in which they're trying to reach, you know, is critical. So I, I think place is important. I think there's a whole theology around place and geography and, and you know, what God can be up to in our lives and in kind of all of creation, I would say, um, in our communities and stuff like that. Um, but I think it's this, it's a place that's convenient, it's close, the proximity is important for us. Um, but it's really about creating a culture and environment, um, almost the air around which we, you know, do coffee and life and ministry stuff that becomes attractive. It becomes like um, you know, and we started NUMA Coffee Roasters actually as a way to help fund campus ministry initiatives. Mm. And, uh, and NUMA is the Greek word for air or breath, but also spirit in the New Testament gets translated uh, from NUMA. Um, it really becomes this life-giving sort of air that we breathe and culture that we, you know, swim in uh, together. Yeah. It's uh, interesting um, at... Um you, uh, IUPUI, actually set up, set up shop, as it were. I set up uh, my space to talk with students right across from the coffee shop, uh, and then you know begin to buy caribou. It's actually caribou coffee uh, there, but uh, you know everybody's got something in their hand. They're talking. In many cases, it takes place just because you've got something in your hand. Yeah. You're all sharing the same space. Yeah, I feel like sometimes, and I'll often just carry. I'll have coffee with me in a cup or a mug or something. Because I think it almost does communicate like 
I am in this public space with you, I'm willing to talk or share or be approached. I'm not just, you know, sometimes we are kind of head down, studying or in our phones or devices or whatever, but there's something about holding that cup of coffee with someone else who's holding that cup of coffee and it's some kind of connector that says we're both committed to enjoying this moment together mm -hmm. and sharing. So I think that's one of the things that coffee and again, food, other beverages can certainly do this as well. It, it, it's almost any time we're taking something in, it is this posture of, of shared kind of hospitality, treating, mm. you know, someone, you know, for me, the radical notion of kind of biblical hospitality is treating the other as family. Mm. It is this welcoming sense that we present to people. Um, and so I often talk about kind of hospitality being, you know, my main posture and approach to, to people is this, I'm going to treat this person, perhaps that I don't know at first, um, as, as someone on the inside, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's it. That's tremendously valuable. We're going to be taking a one-song break here, and when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Chris Bean. Our discussion here today is about coffee, about hospitality, about uh, conviviality and community and the kinds of things that draw people together. You're listening to Warp and Woof Radio at radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We'll be right back. We are back. Warp and Woof Radio at radionext.tv at the Cool Groove site across from the Bonner Center in the urban core of Indianapolis. Great. Uh, glad to be here again with you this week. Uh, we are going to be hooking up the podcast later on. We'll push that out. We've got the second hour of our Facebook Live uh, that we're going to be that we've saved and are going to share out the second hour with Chris Bean. Um, but we're coming back to this discussion now of coffee and hospitality and uh, feeling like there's some way that we can connect relationally uh, with people. Uh, we've kind of talked around this. I guess I'd like to flesh this out a little bit more uh, with you, Chris, about how your Christian belief. Uh, frames all of what you do in this relationship uh, with coffee. Uh, maybe kind of break that down for us a little bit more. Yeah, I, um, you know, I think sometimes we can we can reduce Christianity to um, basically we're we're messed up and we need God, um, and focus on kind of what some people would call a truncated, narrow view of the gospel, but it really starts with creation. It really starts with um, all that God has created, everything that's part of creation, is something God is actively trying to redeem and reconcile. Um, and so for me, that means something like coffee. There's a bit of a theology of, of coffee that says that this is something God's created, part of God's good creation, God's good world, um, and it's amazing how many lives are impacted by coffee, by mm. the coffee industry. Um, and so to have something that's such a good part of God's creation and it affects so many people's lives uh, from a growing producing standpoint, I mean, it's, it's a major, you know, economic, you know, part of all the countries that grow and produce coffee. It's usually one of their top kind of economic goods, exports, if not the second highest good, that sort of thing. Uh, so for me, coffee is, it's a, it's a part of God's good creation that just creates a good opportunity 
uh, to engage with it mm. and to make sure that we are doing everything that, that we can do to, to one, prepare it well, uh, to make sure there's quality all along the way, kind of the, the from seed to cup kind of mentality, mm. everything that happens on the journey of a, of, of a coffee seed you know, mm. to when it ends up in, in my cup of coffee. Uh, there's so many things that happen uh, to that. So there's all kinds of opportunities to be engaged in that process. There's ways to, you know, everybody probably knows about things like fair trade coffee and trying to make mm. sure that workers are paid a fair wage. Um, in the last 10 to 15 years, there's been an emphasis on something really beyond fair trade is what they call direct trade. And so mm. it's trying to go even more direct to farmers. Um, to make sure they're getting even more money and and for the coffee industry especially coffee industry to be sustainable it's really going to have to grow even more this is not something we americans like to think about but coffee needs to actually become more expensive for the people who are growing the coffee and producing it to really have sustainable mm. kind of livelihoods and stuff like that so anyway i just feel like the way that coffee impacts um, the world um, from it as a crop and an export all the way to, you know, a beverage we enjoy and how it creates community and different things around, you know, our lives. Uh, I just think it's, it's a, it's a goldmine of, of ways to engage people mm. and to engage, you know, with creation and do good things. One of the things that stands out in your uh, good explanation there has to do with creation. And I honestly think that uh, in some evangelical circles today that we've lost or forget or neglect uh, the emphasis on creation. I'm, I'm mindful of any number of passages in Scripture, uh, Psalm 24.1, for instance, that, this is, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I'm reminded of something the Apostle Paul said, that uh, all things should be enjoyed and given thanks for, uh, including good drink. Uh, actually, in the first hour, HB and I actually include whiskey in this, you know. Yeah. So, you know, there was that kind of connection as well. Uh, not to mention uh, beer, because we had I just put out that truth in two yesterday about Guinness beer and how important that family was, for instance, to uh, their employees and how they took care of them. God and Guinness is a great read. Yes. A great book if you haven't seen that. I can't remember the author's name. Yeah, it's Stephen Mansfield. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the story I told oh, okay. in that yeah. truth in two. So that particular story really gets after uh, what we're talking about here, and that is that if God has made his creation good and that we can uh, enjoy it and appreciate it and gain good things from it, then we should share that with other people. And that just kind of stands to reason. Yeah. And I think that, you know, sometimes we can talk about, in the Christian life, good words versus good deeds. Mm. And, and some would say that, you know, you can err on the side of just being say about social justice or doing good things and not necessarily speaking you know good words or the good the gospel in that way i think it really has to be this perfect pairing of the way in which we live our lives is a mixture of good words and good deeds mm -hmm. so good things that we do along with the things we say about christ the things we say about truth and scripture and all and all that makes a huge difference. And this is, a, a pro of course, the problem we've had since Genesis 3, since the issue of Gnosticism and, and Second Testament teaching. And we have this tendency to divide things out. Yeah. And we don't see the wholeness of life, not just simply the wholeness of life in terms of how we think about all of life from a Christian point of view, but we 
we tend to dichotomize or separate or put into little boxes whatever things we we're thinking about and say, well, that's about this thing, not about the whole the whole of it. So in your ministry at the University of Cincinnati and the kinds of things that you do there, you're really interested in the whole student. You're interested in the whole person. Yeah, they're there to study. Yes, they're there to create and uh, gain a degree and those kinds of things. But along the way, there needs to be sustenance. And so your approach then to university is to basically provide that sustenance for people. Yeah, definitely. Um, and again, I, I often talk about really two words as kind of my philosophy of ministry and the way it integrates coffee is a mixture of kind of hospitality and discipleship. Mm. And so hospitality, engaging students around the coffee house kind of environment provides an op opportunity then to have kind of a discipling relationship influence in their lives. Now, obviously not every student who comes in the coffee shop is interested in having a conversation about Christ or whatever. Mm. Um, we've got several student volunteers um, that work with us each semester at the coffee shop, and, and a couple of those have been uh, um, Muslim students um, or one student uh, Hindu. Um, but to build relationships with them, and it's not always about you know, convincing them Christianity is the truth or having them make a decision for Christ or something like that, but the mere fact of, of welcoming them, loving them right where they are, being interested in them as a person, mm -hmm. uh, who they are, what, you know, what has their faith, what's that journey been like, mm. um, and where are they at now, and how are things going, and, um, you know, it all, it all just presents opportunities to, to have basically a holistic relationship with a person, mm. with a student, and that's really, I think, what we're focused on. I mean, yes, we want to point students toward Christ. I often think I I want to be, I want to be the kind of Christian in someone's life. If nothing else, they could look back and say that, oh, hey, I did know this one Christian who was super generous, kind, always willing to take time, um, you know, to talk and and didn't shun me because I had a different faith or a different mm -hmm. sexual orientation or or whatever. Whatever. Um, and so, I mean, that's a, you know, that's certainly what we count as kind of a win is just having a relationship with students where they're going to look back on this time and, and be able to mark just good experiences with someone in the Christian community, but just good experiences around coffee and around our, you know, our space. One of the things that, uh, that, that I think we need to mention here, and this has to do with evangelism you were bringing up in Gate. Um, I do believe that the Spirit is in charge of that. So it's not our responsibility to close the deal, as it were, in yeah. terms of evangelism. But the other thing that stands out about this is something that Rob and my wife and I talk a lot about, and that is that we are simply points along the line to somebody's salvation. That we may be the person that is enjoining to them, engaging them, uh, welcoming them, being nice to them, and that maybe that's all that we're there for. Yeah. And that, that one moment in their life is something they reflect back on later on when they meet another believer who then gives them the gospel. Who knows how these things work? Yeah. So your, com your connection then to this, this engagement with people, sharing and being welcoming and so on is huge. Yeah. As we would often talk about kind of links in a chain, you know, mm -hmm. being the connection, yeah. you know, to someone and, and kind of on their faith journey is that every, every link in that chain so to speak of someone's journey towards Christ um, 
is significant mm. and not to minimize whatever your role is in in that whichever link you are in that you know in that chain of connection for someone uh, that that's significant the the issue that we face i think sometimes is that we have a tendency to think that we have a programmatic approach to christianity instead of having a welcoming no matter who you are um hospitable approach to christianity where Nobody is left out. Everybody is welcome. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you do. None of those things matter. What matters is that you're a fellow human being and that you're here with me and I want to share that moment or however, whatever we're sharing together. In this case, we're talking about coffee. How important that is then for just general people to yeah. see people as human beings. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like Paul's kind of organic you know, analogy in the New Testament of, you know, someone waters, some, you know, someone does this, does that, um, you know, all these things that are involved in the growth of something organic, um, mm. that we all kind of play a part in that. And, you know, I love the, kind of the analogy of soil in the New Testament and how, how you know, good soil kind of, you know, reaps, you know, productivity, so to speak. That's certainly true with coffee as an organic agricultural kind of thing. Mm. Um, and so to see people at it, sort of this organic way that, again, yeah, it's not programmatic, it's organic. And to just be part of the process, whether this day I'm just throwing a little water, a little moisture, a little encouragement, you know, on someone. Um, and then, you know, God provides other things, other people in their lives to kind of connect with that process. Yeah. Um, I think that's better. It's definitely better to see, you know, it's unfortunate that sometimes in Christianity we can see people as projects, we can see mm -hmm. people as tasks, as uh, even, you know, whatever, evangelistically as a notch on the belt, so to speak, or mm. something, instead of uh, a fellow human being made in the image of God on their journey. If I can play a part in that around a cup of coffee or whatever, mm. um, I mean, that's... <clears throat> Yeah. One of the difficulties, and I'm now speaking as a nonprofit leader, and please jump in on this because this is really um, an important discussion. <clears throat> One of the things I face on a regular basis is the pressure to produce numbers, the pressure to say, to be able to show people, here are all the things I'm doing. And, you know, in America, we have a doing mentality. If you're not doing something, you're not doing anything. So let's talk for a minute about the necessity of being <laughs> instead of doing. Uh, and that's not to say that doing isn't important or knowing isn't important, but sometimes we miss out on the being part. As a nonprofit leader, how do you deal with the issues that you feel maybe the pressure to produce in that sense of things? Or maybe how do you communicate to those patrons that serve, uh, that support you, uh, how do you communicate those things to them? Hmm. Ironically, I would say that that problem or that issue, in part, is what led to me starting Numa Coffee and finding alternate ways to help fund ministry. Is because often churches, denominations, things that you know value numbers, value metrics and all those sorts of things, it can be difficult for them to see a ministry as successful that's yes. not producing a lot of numbers or a large gathering of students or whatever. And for me, I knew that I was not, I was not focused on producing a big ministry. 
in the sense of numbers and whatever. I wanted to have deep relationships with a few students and, and have long-term kind of mentoring sort of approach to discipleship with students. Um, but that created some issues, and so, you know, as funding would kind of dry up different sources, I realized we had to come at this a different way. And so starting NUMA Coffee Roasters was a way to help create sustainable, long-term uh, presence at the University of Cincinnati um, for us to continue doing what we're doing. Um, I think what we really have to do is is tell stories. We have to share stories of transformation, share yep. stories of what's going on in students' lives. Um, you know, for people to value, you know, transformation, even on small levels, so to speak, to value that over big kind of bells and whistles, numbers, nickels, noses, whatever kind of stuff. Um, I think we just have to be good storytellers of sharing what's going on, what we see happening in students' lives, and creating great value around that and not minimizing it just because it, it didn't reach this certain threshold of numerical success. Yeah. This is something that I'm, I'm constantly struggling with uh, generally, and that is how to find a different way to, to fund and support. So, you know, my interest in life is teaching. Uh, my interest in life is mentoring or discipling students, uh, but also writing. So I'm I'm trying to figure out how I can uh, use that writing application to fund Comenius, for instance. Um, and that's something that's uh, constant exploration. We're working on those kinds of things. But I'm right there with you. You have to find a different way to go about doing this. And in your case, it's coffee. Yeah, and you know what we're noticing as we continue to grow um, as a business, so Numa is a for-profit business, that is helping support a nonprofit coffee house and then um, our ministry at UC. Um, it's interesting how, you know, even coffee shops that don't have kind of a Christian ethic to them or impetus, so to speak, mm -hmm. they really latch on to the idea that we're trying to do some good, that we're there for students, you know, during what can be a difficult season of life for many of them. Um, in that we are doing things like we'll go to Guatemala this coming January with students, visit one of our coffee farmers in Guatemala, as well as do some ministry in the inner city of Guatemala in a kind of a gang-ridden, violent um, community near downtown Guatemala City. Um, you know, coffee shop owners really love that we're trying to do, we're not just trying to make money off them with coffee, but we're trying to do good things in the lives of students with coffee and the lives of kind of the communities that we impact everywhere from Guatemala to, you know, Cincinnati to every little community where Numa coffee gets shared, you know. Um, so it's it's been good to see that people, even people who are not Christians, um, get excited about the idea of just kind of being after the common good, mm. you know, just trying to be an inspirational, transformational presence. Yeah, uh, in people's lives. We live in one of those uh, caustic, combative, uh, really cultural moments, I think. Uh, it may be over the last couple of years, but I think much longer than that, where people we find are at each other's throats uh, more often. Social media certainly is, is like that. The problem of not being civil with each other, those kinds of things. Um, 
what does this opportunity then to share coffee or beer or whiskey, be a barista, be a bartender, how does that then contribute to the public good, to the common good of any kind of community that we're in? I think the more you provide space for people to get to know each other and to have a relationship and not just reduce the other to a set of ideas, mm. um, I think the more good can come out of sort of public discourse, civil discourse, things like that. Mm. Um, I mean, right now we're seeing, you know, in the in the nominee, the, the hearing, you know, around potential Supreme Court Justice Kavanaugh, you know, all the disruptions and all the, everything that's going on around that. And regardless of where you, you know, where you fall on that idea spectrum, um, it's interesting to just observe it as an outsider and just say, that doesn't work. Yeah. This is kind of broken the way that we interact. Um, I don't know, perhaps if they had the nominee hearing at a coffee shop or a bar or something like that. And <laughs> there you go. Engage people as, as fellow human beings that that could yes. go a little bit better or something like yeah. that or around a shared table of food. Um, hmm. Probably improve the process. But I do think, like one of the things we want to launch this, this fall at the University of Cincinnati is what we're probably going to call the Conversation Cafe. And it's really built around engaging students from a skeptical, agnostic, atheist standpoint nice, yeah. with also students of faith and not just Christian faith, but to have open dialogue conversation about some particular issues and things and do that in a way, in an environment that promotes you know, civility, that mm -hmm. promotes this, this ability to try to hear and understand the other person and appreciate and respect them as another person and not just as, you know, a bag of beliefs or ideas that yeah. you may or may not agree with. One of the guests that we've had on the show uh, is Matt Barnes, who is the uh, uh, volunteer chaplain for uh, the State House in Indianapolis for the last 13, 14 years. And actually, uh, HB and I were down in January, um, one of the first days in January, a Wednesday, uh, to do our show, meeting politicians coming in. One of the things that Matt and others who work with him, alongside him, have said about this engagement is, he said, it's very difficult when you are in uh, the state house and you're having, you're standing up to support a bill or be upset with somebody who has uh, supported a bill that you're against or whatever, to see the chaplain of the state house in the back of the room who's looking at you. It's like when your pastor's present with whatever, you know, and whatever you're engaged with. He said it's really hard for them then to say something nasty to somebody else in the state house. It adds a layer of a, a like a filter. Some yeah, like some accountability, exactly. Yeah, so he said there's, there's actually been this kind of a, a calming effect to have a chaplain present in the state house between people who disagree with each other. And then, of course, what happens is that he's kind of like the glue uh, between all of these people because he said numerous times when we were with him last, he said, you know, state house uh, folks, legislators, are just like everybody else. They've got families. They've got problems. Yeah. They text me at 3 o'clock in the morning with, you know, some awfulness that, that's happening. Um, it would seem to me that we need to have more people in public spaces like you are that are engaging this kind of thing, and I'm really excited about the possibility of hearing about what happens with this uh, new conversation approach. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I think the, the trick with that and where, 
I don't know, kind of evangelical Christianity, if if particular flavors of Christianity, so to speak, get tied to certain political, you know, agendas, yeah. um, that, that's the danger of that. But if if a chaplain, you know, like Matt Barnes or somebody can can maintain that sort of I don't know if I want to use the word neutral or independent or just supportive, encouraging approach to the whole community, you know, politically or, or whatever community it is. Um, that can be the tricky part. And I know for myself, sometimes I'm I'm tempted to kind of import the agenda of my own religious tribe, so sure. to speak. Yep. Um, which does it just doesn't always work in the university environment. Um, and so I, I have to be careful not, you know, to not lead, you know, with certain, you know, whatever beliefs. Um, you know, we're all going to have certain theological convictions and things like that. But um, it's been good, I think. And one of the reasons we've been successful, so to speak, is that we don't align with a particular, a particular church, a particular denomination, a particular, you know, whatever flavor but just try to focus on the basics of, of Christ and good Christian love and community uh, for students in our yeah. context. Yeah, six, eight months ago, uh, Dr. Clyde and I were on, on air talking about politics, and uh, he's a progressive liberal, and I'm a perennial conservative. And so here you have these two guys, a black PhD and a white PhD, actually having a conversation, a civil conversation about politics, and so we sat right next to each other, and we were defining words. What does it mean to be a liberal? What's it mean to be a conservative? Um, does it mean the same thing to you as it does to maybe other people? You know, which the answer is no, it doesn't mean the same thing. Yeah. <clears throat> so we were having this conversation on air, and it was one of those things that kind of blew up around town where people were saying, wow, did you hear that? You know, so these two guys were talking to each other. We couldn't believe they weren't yelling and <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I tell you that to be an encouragement, I hope, for this uh, this new program that maybe that you're going to be putting out this fall. And Godspeed with that. I, I, that's a wonderful opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we're coming down to the end here in the last couple minutes of the show. Um, if you were going to leave people with uh, things that you wanted them to walk away with uh, today, what would you say? Um, I think just take advantage of of what seems like mundane, everyday, ordinary opportunities mm. to be a blessing to other people. Mm. Um, and that can sometimes just be an encouraging, you know, an encouraging comment around a cup of coffee with someone. Um, it can be a smile. It can be a facial expression. It can be as simple as, as eye contact, you know, with someone. Um, but I think, you know, trying to leverage the everyday ordinary places where we live and move and have our being, <laughs> um, to quote someone mm -hmm. who quoted someone, um, I think to just take advantage of those, to see those as the critical and significant ways in which we integrate faith and life yeah. is everyday ordinary moments and how we handle those, how we value other people in our lives and uh, just give a shout out to everybody out there about uh, your company where they can find your coffee yeah Numa coffee roasters so it's p-n-e-u-m-a numa um, coffee.com and so you can check us out there 
Um, we're always glad to partner with churches who want to serve some great coffee that also helps support campus ministry. Mm. Um, and certainly around Cincinnati, you can find us in a few locations. Uh, the Main Cup is my home coffee shop in Milford, Ohio, on the east side. There's uh, the 86 Coffee Bar is our main, kind of our, uh, our original location where we do campus ministry initiatives. There's a Brick Coffee Company in Norwood, mm. um, right in the center of Cincinnati. Um, but yeah, we're available online, so go online and order a bag of coffee. And in fact, we'll have to throw together a little coupon code, a little discount for anybody listening. Let's say 15% uh, off any order. The coupon code is Cominius. Wow, look at that. On the spot, the man makes <laughs> this up. That's impressive stuff. And by the way, you spell Cominius, C-O-M-E-N-I-U-S. Check us out at CommunitasInstitute.org.com. Thank you so much for being with us here again this week. Warp and Woof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. Across the street from the Bonner Center, 2131 East 10th Street. And if you want to come by for lunch, I'll take you across the street to Burger King. They serve great salads there. Next week, we are going to be hearing from Aaron Story, who is coming in to talk to us about Elevate and his work in and around Indianapolis. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back again next week. See you then.